Christmas, you know, Christmas has an effect on us, doesn't it? It has an effect on Daddy's pocketbook. It has an effect on a lot of our waistlines. Stress levels, sadly, tend to go up during the, uh, the holiday season. It's uh, interesting. It's also a time of great joy for many people, but we also know that depression uh, and sadness goes up during the holidays, too. Christmas does have an effect on us. So the next three Sundays, we're going to be looking at the Christmas effect, not from the Wall Street or from the Macy's effect, but what, what does God say? What kind of effect does Jesus Christ want Christmas to have on you? And our, our big question this morning is this, how will Christmas, how will the birth of Christ affect your behavior? What, how is the fact that Jesus Christ has been born, and that's ultimately what we're celebrating uh, on Christmas, that Jesus Christ was born, how is it going to affect how you or I do life? We're in Matthew chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 2. If you don't, the scriptures will be on the screen. And let's begin with verse 1 through 3. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, that's the wise men, came to Jerusalem and they asked, where's the one who has been born King of the Jews? Do you get that? Born King of the Jews. We saw saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. I want to show you on a map uh, just a little context where Bethlehem is uh, this is the Palestine in Jesus' day, Palestine today, too. Here's Jerusalem right here, or it's Israel, and uh, we would call it the, the, the uh, modern-day Palestine, I guess, to us. This is Jerusalem. There's Bethlehem. Now, if you look at that, it looks like it's a long way away. It's not. It's just about five or six miles southwest of Jerusalem. It says in your Bibles, Bethlehem of Judea, because there is a Bethlehem way up here. You don't see in this map in Galilee. Uh, but this is Bethlehem, Judea, about five miles, six miles southwest of Jerusalem. And we're going to talk about King Herod in a moment. And we're going to talk about the wise men, the magi, uh, more in a moment, kind of explain who they were. But, but here's the, the, the crux of this story, uh, or the first part of it, is that the wise men, these guys, came to see Jesus Christ. And it says in the scriptures that he didn't become a king. He didn't become the son of God. He didn't become God in the flesh. That Jesus Christ was born the son of God. Uh, He was God in the flesh. And that he was born the king of the Jews. That's pretty significant, isn't it? In John chapter 1, verse 14, listen to what this says. John 1, 14, the word, and it's talking about in John chapter 1, Jesus Christ being the word. The word became flesh. It says the, the word and God are one. The word became flesh. God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. Christmas is about God becoming a man for you and me. Are you getting that? That's, that's hugely significant. I, I read in a Christian Standard magazine an article where, where a dad who's a preacher, this whole thing kind of made sense to him one day when he was playing on the floor with his two sons. One was three, one was five. 
And so, you know, a good dad, good granddad, good mom, good grandmom, you know, you get on the floor with your kids, you get down there level. And so he's down there playing, and his three-year-old, you know, he really likes it. And he, uh, he said, Daddy, on the floor with me. You know, Daddy's down here with us. And, and Daddy's playing, you know, they're playing in the car. Daddy's playing with us. And then the little boy scratched his, uh, his elbow, and it, you know, he teared up a little bit. And then the daddy showed he had a scratch. He said, Daddy has a scratch too. And then finally, as they were about to wrap everything up, they... They looked, and they were eye to eye. The little boy was standing. The daddy was was sitting on the floor, and they were eye to eye. And the little boy said, Daddy at eye level. (laughs) Daddy at eye level. And and the man said it dawned on him. He said, yeah, I'm I'm his father, and I'm obviously much bigger, stronger, and more responsible to everything. But at, at this particular junction, I'm at eye level with my son. And he said, that's what Christmas was. Christmas was about God. Jesus Christ leaving heaven and come to earth and God getting at eye level with you and me. So we would know what God was like. You can certainly read the Bible and in the Old Testament, you can understand God to some degree. But when God really wanted us to know what he was like, he sent his son Jesus Christ and he didn't stay above us. He became one of us. He became God at eye level. Isn't that a cool concept? And so, so here's the whole thing. Folks, if God got on our level for you and me and with you and me, it ought to do something great to your life. It ought to affect how you live. It ought to affect how you behave. Your, your life should be different because Jesus Christ came to this earth. We got three scenarios in our scriptures this morning. Three ways that people were affected by Jesus Christ being born. And you know what? 2,000 years later, it's the absolute same way. One of these three responses is, the how, is going to fit every person in this room this morning. Great news is you can change your response, but everyone fits them. The first two are negative, and let's begin with this. Here's how Christmas is going to affect people. Some people, it's not really very much. How's it going to affect them? Not really. It's just not going to. In other words, Christmas is going to come and go, and many of our lives won't be any different on December 26th than they were when we walked in this room this morning. That's the same way it was 2,000 years ago. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, it's a sad story here of some religious people. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Herod, Herod wanted to know where this new baby was going to be born. And so it says all the chief priests. There's only one chief priest, but to call all the chief priests meant that you were calling the previous chief priests, like we call all former presidents of our country, president so-and-so, president so-and-so. They would call them chief priests. So they're getting the top leaders of the Jewish people. They're getting the religious scholars, the people who ran the temple. And in verse 5, and they knew, they know, man, they know their Bible. They quote Micah 5, 2. They say, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Here's the cool thing. Man, these guys knew where Jesus was going to be born. Man, they knew their Bible. They could quote it. 
And when they were asked the question, where is the king of kings, the king of the Jews, the promised Jewish Messiah, by the the Jewish people, where our promised king is going to be born, they knew exactly where he was going to be born. And we have zero inclination they did anything with that knowledge. Is that not incredible? We have zero biblical confirmation that they did anything but go home after seeing King Herod. I, I heard a Bible scholar say years ago, he said that five or six times in his life, he's got on that airplane and traveled 20-something hours from America to get to Jerusalem, to go to Bethlehem, to Manger Square on Christmas Eve, to experience Christmas Eve at Manger Square where Jesus was born. And he said it's always dumbfounded him that those Jewish scholars who knew their Bible so well would not travel five to six miles down the road to see the newborn king. Is that not incredible? Hey, I bet they were busy Christmas shopping. I mean, Christmas had just begun, hadn't it? I mean, and they were religious people. I mean, they... They didn't need to let Jesus' birth get in the way of their Bible studies. They had stuff to do at the synagogue or the temple. Important stuff. They had family things they had to do. And they weren't, at least what the Scripture says, they weren't offended by Jesus being born. It just didn't make any difference whatsoever. And you know the problem with so many of us, if we're not real careful... Is the birth of Christ is not going to make any difference in our lives or our behaviors either. I want to read to you some statistics I thought were very promising, very interesting. They came out in the Wall Street Journal this year. These are one year old. They, it was a survey done by Pew Research in December 2014. And you know, people say, well, America is not a Christian country anymore. Well, America is not a Christian country in the sense that the vast majority of Americans are devoutly following Jesus, but as far as people saying that they believe in Christianity and the basics of the faith, America is primarily a Christian country. Listen to this. And this was young people, old people, thousands of people. Listen to these statistics. 73% of, of U.S. adults believe that Jesus was born to a virgin. 73%. 75% believe that Jesus was, or excuse me, 80% believe that Jesus was born and laid in a manger, like the scriptures say. 75% believe that wise men were guided by a star and brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 74% of Americans believe an angel, this is last year, announced the birth of Jesus to shepherds. And when you put all those things together, the Christmas story, close to 70% believe all those things are true. Isn't that incredible? I think that's incredible. But here's the weird part of this. People who study this stuff all the time say, although most Americans believe these things, three-fourths of Americans are not truly converted Christians. To to give you some feet to that, three-fourths of America, that would be 242 million Americans who if they died today, would die without Christ. In other words, we believe it, it just makes no difference in our lives. Someone said about Americans, and I'm American, so I'm kicking me too, and about the Western culture, 
that here's what's happened to us. We have, we have been so comfortable in our materialism, and we have, we have rationalized so much with our intellectualism that Jesus makes much, no much difference in our lives. That many of us are like a rock that's found in a stream that may have been in that stream for hundreds of years covered by water, but you take the rock out and you break the rock open and there's no water inside of the rock. In other words, it's been in that stream for hundreds of years and the water has never penetrated the rock. Many of us are like that. We've been saturated with Christianity. It's just not penetrated our hearts or our lives. That was the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They had to get back to the temple or or get back to their studying of the Word, and they missed God. Eugene Peterson is the the man who translated the Bible, the message. How many of you have the message or are familiar with it? It's it's a really good translation. Just don't try to memorize Scripture out of it because the verses are like all like that long. They're very expressive. Eugene Peterson said this. He said, discipleship. In other words, when you're really having an encounter with Jesus, it has demonstrable effects in your life. Peterson said, when you are are really encountering Jesus and you're growing in Jesus, it has measurable, demonstrable effects on your life and your behavior. Those Religious leaders 2,000 years ago knew where Jesus was born. They believed their Bibles, but it made no difference in their lives. I plead with you today, don't leave this room this morning. Don't miss Christmas this year. Don't be the person that it just doesn't have much effect on you. Here's the second person, and you don't want to be this one either, and that's negatively. Did you know the birth of Christ, an encounter with Jesus Christ for some people brings about a lot of negative things? It certainly did in this story. In chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Herod, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. This guy was called Herod the Great. He was called Herod the Great because he did a lot of great things. The temple that Jesus enjoyed and that Jesus grew up running around in, Herod helped build that for the Jewish people. He built a lot of buildings and a lot of structures, did a lot of great things. But he was also Herod the Horrible. He killed one of his wives. He killed one of his mother-in-laws. And yes, that is illegal in most states. Three of his sons, when they came to age... And he felt like they were a threat to his throne. He had them killed. You know what? If I was son number three, when big brother number two got his head chopped off, I'm getting out of Jerusalem, aren't you? (laughs) I mean, you know, fool me once, not twice. This was a wicked guy. Verse 7 and 8. It says, Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them what time the, the, the star had appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem and he said go make a careful search for the child as soon as you find him report to me so that I may go and worship him you're talking about a, a hypocrite <laughs> the last thing on his mind was worshiping Jesus it's funny how we can hide a lot of our bad stuff behind a religious mask in verse 16 through 18 it comes full swing when Herod realized that the wise men had tricked him and they didn't do what he asked, 
He was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or younger. Can you imagine this? In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice in Ramah weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Wow. Herod had enough sense as a king to realize one in diapers was a threat to his power. Thank goodness Jesus and Joseph and Mary got away from there. I want to tell you one thing about Herod. He wasn't apathetic, was he? (laughs) See, Herod understood what some of you understand. Maybe you've articulated it. Maybe you haven't. But Jesus confronts us when we really have an encounter with him. And we can't stay the same. When Jesus confronts us, he is a threat to your power and your control and your rule. And some of us don't want husband, wife, parents, boss, coach, teacher, or God himself to control us. And the fact that the Jesus, the born king that we celebrate this Christmas, comes in and he says, my way is that you submit to me. Some people fight against it. I've seen that happen through the years. I thought this week of of two things that happened years and years ago that I saw as a young man. One was I had a couple come into my church, and, and they were both, I guess just to put it bluntly, they were partiers. You know what that is? That you old people know what a partier is. I mean, they, they enjoyed good things to the extreme. And, but they started coming to church. It was awesome. And, and they, uh, eventually, the husband got saved. He became a Christian. It was radical. It was profound. And you know what? His wife hated that. Because, see, when they were first starting to come to church and he wasn't drinking and getting drunk five nights a week, when he backed off of that, and when he wasn't running around on her, when he wasn't doing things he shouldn't be doing, because he started coming to church, he was behaving better. She liked that. But when he sold out to Jesus Christ and he wanted to come to church every Sunday, and he wanted to start behaving in his lifestyle and his pattern, That became a threat to her power, and she wore the pants. And you can imagine that wasn't going to go well. And she fought. She fought his move toward Jesus tooth and nail. She eventually won. I've seen parents do this. I've seen seen teenagers give their life to Christ. Seen them baptized. Mom and dad aren't where they need to be with God. You know what? That becomes a threat to mom and dad. Shouldn't. And the the young person ought to be a lot better child than they were before, but it becomes a threat. And I actually watched a parent do this. I didn't really realize what was going on. But but after the kids got saved, for about six months, every Sunday, he would have something for them to do. Let's go play golf this morning. Let's go fishing. Let's go ride horses. Let's go do this. And you know what? There's there's very few 12 to 14-year-olds. If you give them a choice of sleeping in, go hunting, go fishing, go to the lake or go to church, what are they going to (laughs) choose? And I watched these parents pull their kids away from Christ because they thought Jesus was a threat to them. 
I just want to say this this morning. Don't fight Jesus. You can't win. Let me say that again and you say amen again. Don't fight Jesus because you can't win. He's going to pin you eventually. (laughs) The wrong response is the apathetic one. And the wrong response is certainly the negative one. So that brings us to the third one. Let Christmas affect you in a profoundly positive way. You see, you can make a choice this morning. You can make a choice this morning that the birth of Christ, that Jesus coming in the world, coming in the world, the Bible says he was looking for you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Everyone in here at one time was lost. Some of you are still lost. Some of you are Christians who who are right where you need to be with God. Jesus came for you. He's looking for you. Let it affect you in a positive way. Let's go to the heroes of the story. Again, back to verse 1 and 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the time King Herod uh, Herod Magi, wise men, came from the east to Jerusalem. And they asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. And we have come to worship him. We don't know much about these guys. We know that they were probably from Persia, maybe from what would be modern-day Iran or Iraq, Arabia. We, the, the word magi literally is a Persian word, which means a wise man. They, they, were, they were scholars. They were probably astronomers, studied the skies. Uh, scientists, they were no question about it. They were religious people. We sing a beautiful old hymn, We Three Kings of Orient Are. How many of you know that song? Most of you do. I, I never, what is Orient Are? I never have known what that is. But, uh, you know, honestly, we, we don't know at all if they were kings. And we certainly think there was probably more than three because when they came in Jerusalem, it says the city was shaken by them being there. But, you know, it's still a great song. We know they were wise men. But here's the cool thing, guys. They probably traveled over a 1,000 miles, probably Delta or American, and I'm not sure how you, you flew back then. <laughs> no, you rode a camel, or you walked, or you rode a donkey for over a 1,000 miles, and you didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express. You slept in a tent, you slept in the sand, you slept in the dirt. Bandits, banditos, whatever you call them, were frequent. There wasn't cops to protect you. I mean, you, when you started traveling, you, you, were, you were in a tough spot. And they, they traveled thousands of miles to get to Jesus. And verse 9 and 10, it says this, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them. Until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Here's just a little side note here. Uh, Dr. Andy Johnson, one of our retired ministers, told me, he goes, this is God's GPS. And God's GPS always works. I want to tell you something this morning. This is, again, a side note. But if you'll follow God, he'll always show you the way. Sometimes it's by bits and pieces. I want God to lay out what the next 15 years look like. Don't you? That isn't how God works. Sometimes God gives you enough light to get to the next place, and then you have to sit a while, and then he'll give you more. But he got the, he got the wise men where they were going, didn't he? In verse 11, 
It says, on coming to the house. Now, this is interesting. It doesn't say the stable, does it? It doesn't say the manger. Jesus had moved from the barn to a house when they saw the child with his mother Mary. Now, this is interesting too. Child and baby in the Greek language of the New Testament are different words. Jesus is not a newborn. He's probably anywhere from 6 months to 18 to 20 months at this point. And now you're going to ask me, how come on the movies or on the Christmas musical in two weeks, why do the, the wise men come to the manger? Because we don't have enough time and space to put a house over here for the shepherds to come here and then the wise men to come in 30 minutes later and go to the house to an older baby. Does that make sense? So we have to all do it once. So it's, it's, it's a cool. It's, it's not a problem, right, Wayne? It's good. But they get there, and, and that, this helps you a little bit with the time thing. They get there, Jesus is probably, again, six months to 18 months. They're in a home. Time's elapsed. And look what it says, they bow down. Now, listen, next week we're going to talk about worship. When it says bow down there, that's not really strong, near strong enough. It literally, what they did is that they fell down. They walked in. Here's this baby. They know this is the king of kings. This is the, the king of the Jews. This is Jesus. And when they walked in the room, they didn't say, hey, what's up, dude? What's on the, can I borrow your phone? Uh, you know, or they walked in and one of them missed Jesus because they were texting. Uh, no, it says they walked in and they fell on their face. Isn't that cool? How would you respond today if Jesus was down here? He is here. You just can't see him. They fell down and it says they worshipped him and they opened their treasures and they gave him. This is where we get the idea there's three because there's three gifts. Gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. Leave that there for a second, Brian. These gifts have two kinds of significance. One's practical. Gold helps people. Gold is a good thing. It's monetary. But also gold was a gift you gave for a king. They're coming to the king of kings, the king of the Jews, Jesus Christ. They bring him gold. It says incense. Ironically, incense was used in the temple. Uh, the priest, when the priest worked and the sacrifices and things, no doubt that's symbolic of Jesus being the high priest and myrrh was used in embalming. And I don't believe there's any question that's symbolic of Jesus' sacrificial death that was coming. But here's what I want you to get hold of. These guys, scholars, wise people, they probably spent about two or three years of their life traveling, very difficult travel, to get to Jesus Christ, to give him large sums of very valuable things, to fall down and worship him. They reordered, reshaped, redirected their lives to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And it says in, later in Scripture, they went back a different direction. They went back a different direction, and they went back different people. So here's what I want to challenge you today. If Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and I believe with all my heart he is, and that's ultimately what Christmas is about, doesn't it need to affect us in a positive way? Don't we need to reorder and reprioritize our lives? Doesn't your life need to be different? Not if he's not who he says he was, but if he is, it should change us. Remember what I said earlier, that quote from Eugene Peterson? Discipleship, real discipleship, has measurable effects on your behavior. When, when you're growing in Christ or when you come to know Christ, 
people can tell it. You are different. William Barr Clay was a great New Testament scholar. He said, Christianity, real Christianity, is when you cease to be about you and you start being about Jesus. Life is not about your will anymore. It's about Jesus anymore. Let me ask you some questions about your priorities and how you order things. These are primarily for Christians, but everybody can listen. How do you do your prayer and Bible study daily? Here's how most people do it. I'm going to do everything i got to do, and at the end of the day, if I have enough energy and enough time, I'll read my Bible a little bit and I'll pray. How about this change? I'm going to figure out the very best time I can read my Bible and pray, and then I'll figure out how I'll do everything else. How about church? And you're in church, so I'm singing, I'm, I'm singing and preaching to the choir, but just stay with me for a second. Here's how most people do church. We'll go to church if it fits the schedule. Think of it. This is almost kind of funny. We'll come worship Jesus and honor Jesus if we have time. Isn't that kind of ironic? If there's not anything else going on, we'll be there. Hmm. How about do this? How about building your calendar? I'm going to be in God's house, and then I'll figure out how I'll do everything else. What about your money? Now, this will get you. Just for you Christians. Isn't it true that most of us probably do our money like this? I will, I will tithe, and I'll give to God if I can. I mean, I've got to pay bills. I've got to, I've got to buy Christmas presents. I've got all these things, and if there's money left over, then we'll do it. Here's how you should do it. Here's how the wise men would have done it. You give to God what's God, and then you figure out how you'll do everything else. Amen? Amen. That's how you do it. You see, when you have an encounter with Jesus, it changes who you are and how you do life. How many of you know who John McCain is? Do you recognize that name? John, John McCain is a United States senator. He ran for president in 2008. John McCain was a Navy pilot in Vietnam. 1967, he got shot down over North Vietnam, and he spent six years in a prisoner of war camp. It was called the Hanoi Hilton. It was a terrible, terrible place. And in this time, he talks about they were tortured, they were beaten. He was, several times he tried to kill himself, but he was not able to do it, thank goodness. And he said one, one really brutal thing they would do to him is they would tie his hands behind his back. And I, I, I couldn't figure out how they did this. I should have got Josh on stage and we could have tried it on him. But they, they tied his hands behind his back and they would put a rope, bring the rope over his neck and somehow... His head would be in between his legs, and they would tie it real tight, and that's how he would have to be all night. He said, obviously, you couldn't sleep any. It was terrible. He said, one evening, a man came in, a guard he'd never seen before. And the guard looked at him, put his finger to his mouth like, don't make a noise, and he loosened that rope. He said, right, several hours later, when there was going to be a shift change of the guards, the guard came back in, he said, don't say anything, and he tightened the rope back up. That went on for several weeks. Cain couldn't figure out why this guard was being nice to him. 
And then about a month later, McCain was out in the, the prison yard area. And that guard walked up to him and he did like this. Don't say a word. And the guard looked at McCain and he, he took his foot. And in the, the sand, the guard drew a cross. Smiled. Did like this and walked away. McCain said, I got it. The guy was a Christian. The guy had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And he's working in a POW camp for the enemy. And he's treating me with grace. And he's doing his job, a horrible job, with grace. And the way he treats people, even people who tried to bomb his own country, he's treating them with grace. And I don't know anything about McCain's religious background, but McCain said there, I realize that a person who truly knows Jesus, it affects everything in their life. Is that you and me? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I know God is telling you, I really do, God's telling you and me to step it up, to be who we should be with Him. If you're not a Christian, I want to invite you where you're seated to pray with me. If you're ready and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sin. Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart. And I surrender my life to you today. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand. Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart. Or maybe you're ready to do that. When we stand, I know it's hard, but would you come today and talk to one of these ministers, seal that deal with Jesus. Maybe you're ready to join our church today. You can join after church, or you can come when we stand. You can come, and you can join us. We would love for you to do that. Christian, maybe where you're standing or at the altar, or maybe praying with a minister, you need to say, Jesus, I want this Christmas, I want that reinvigorating, life-changing surrender to you to come in me and to go out of me. Let's stand. Let's make the right choices.